Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. This week, we're once again with Chief Activist of the Bayard Reston Center for Social Justice, Robert Seda Schreiber. Like many nonprofits during these days of social distancing, quarantines, and shutdowns, The center has had to shut its doors, canceling its programs and suspending services. Another unintended consequence is the loss of funds, not just in donations, but from cancellations of trainings the center provides to local businesses, organizations, and schools. It's a double whammy, Kizzy. Definitely, Michelle. Not only does our immediate circle, friends, family, neighbors comfort us in this time of uncertainty, but our beloved community organizations too. Organizations like the Bayard Rustin Center for Social Justice are showing up for us, providing virtual space for gathering in the Princeton, New Jersey community, like so many others across the country. As I hear Robert talk about the work that the center is doing, I am inspired by the beauty of ways we are holding each other virtually and symbolically in this moment. I totally agree, Kizzy. Robert joins us to talk about how the center is surviving while it continues to provide for the community, even though its doors are closed, and how we can help the center and other nonprofits today and in the future. Robert, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? How are you and your family, more importantly? And how are you weathering, I don't know, do you have, um, are they asking you to shelter in place at isolation there in New Jersey? So our governor has been just um, an incredible hero during these times. I have to say that I've always um, had great admiration for Governor Murphy, um, not only because he kissed me um, during our first (laughs) pride parade, but um, his work for all our beautifully diverse communities has been phenomenal. Um, And he's just been, um, and forgive me for using a baseball metaphor because I'm not a sports guy at all, but hitting it out of the park um, with Mm -hmm. his reaction to um, this difficult, extraordinary moment in time. Um, And he's been a real solace to our state and our community. Um, And what he's done, what he's asked us to do is to stay at home, is only go out when it's entirely necessary, um, to remember our neighbors and our friends and our allies and our community and do what we can for each other. And the best thing we can do for each other right now is stay away from each other physically. Um, So that's what we're trying to do. Um, It's very, very difficult for an extrovert like me. Um, (laughs) And my lovely bride um, is a public defender. 
So she's actually one of the few state workers, one of the few workers overall, who still has to go in the office and still has to do her work because she's working with such an incredibly at-risk community um, that she's working more than ever. Um, And it's uh, both very difficult to see, but also incredibly inspiring to see because she is a microcosm and in and of herself um, a perfect example of what we can do to help each other during this moment. You know, and that's so real that there are some things that that still have to go on. There are still people who who need to know that she is there in order, you know, in this time of need, you know. I mean, life, parts of life do go on. But, you know, we had talked not long after you got, you know, your your space for the center. And where it had become a place, and we know, like, for many in the LGBTQ community, isolation has been horrible for us, you know? And um, here we finally had a place there in New Jersey where you could come and, and congregate, and now you can't do that. What has been the response that you've heard from members of the community? Well, let me start by saying it was heartbreaking to close our doors, and we held out longer um, than almost any other community group in our um, area because I knew how incredibly important and imperative it was for the people in our community to come out, those that came to us daily, weekly, and then even those who came sporadically. I knew what a solace it was to sit in our beanbags, to read books from our social justice library, to talk with our community outreach coordinator, Carol Watchler, who is one of the best people in the entire world, and even to talk to, you know, uh, a schmo like me. Um, I know how much it meant to so many people, and I held out and we held out for as long as we could, but we finally realized that keeping our bean bags six feet apart was not enough anymore. And with great, great difficulty, uh, we closed our doors physically, but literally that night we opened our doors virtually. And um, I had an epiphany that we would start this Bayard Center for Social Justice, Social Justice Power Hour. And it came to me almost fully formed, the name, the idea, the platform, what it could be and what it could mean. And I have to say that I'm so incredibly honored um, at the response of the people who have come out to support and be guests with us, which you yourself are doing um, or have done by time this, this airs, um, will have been with us. And I thank you for that. And all the other members of the community have come out. Um, and it's been an incredible virtual gathering. We have gathered together thousands of people virtually for remote fellowship, for community, for edification, for entertainment, for empowerment. Um, we've had everybody from uh, Byard Weston's partner, Walter Nagel, was our first guest, which I knew he had to be. Uh-huh. And um, he joined us on Byard's birthday, so we were able to celebrate Byard's oh, birthday. Oh, that's lovely. Uh-huh. And then we had Mike Hotpence, um, a.k.a. Glenn Pinnell, who, um, <laughs> and I don't know if you know Mike, Mike Hotpence, but he is this incredible individual who has bared a striking resemblance to our vice president. And instead of uh-huh. using this as a gag or drag or a Halloween costume, 
he took it upon himself to dress up in a suit jacket, a uh, dress shirt, a tie, and hot pants. As Mike Hot Pence and has raised by going out every weekend and raising money for charities that our own vice president would not approve of, like Planned Parenthood, like refugee support groups, like the ACLU, um, like the Trevor Project, and like our own Byard Rustin Center. He has raised over $50,000. And he is an incredible inspiration. And I'm proud to say that he came out and did work with us. He was the Grand Marshal of our Pride Parade last year, and now he is a member of our Board of Directors. So he shared time with us. We also had um, some incredible folks like craftivist Kyle Burkhart, who on Instagram, everybody should follow her. Her handle, her tag is vacuuming the lawn, and she's the very essence of delightful. We had an open and out mic night welcoming members of our LGBTQI community to come out and share their stories through song, dance, readings, and whatever else. Um, we now hold a queer yoga every Tuesday night. Our Mondays are now dedicated to drag queens because we know that our drag queen community, always so supportive of others when they're able to be out, um, now are facing tremendous difficulty because they can't do their performances okay. live, obviously. So we're having drag queens every Monday. We've already had Lady Chianti with us. Next, uh, we're going to have Sissy Walken, who's Miss Stonewall in, Pussy Willow, and we hope to bring back our own drag queen in residence, Harmonica Sunbeam. We're, um, we're having incredible guests. Islet Waldman, who is an incredible author, creator of um, the Netflix show Unbelievable, and just edited a book uh, that benefited the ACLU called Fight of the Century with her husband, who you might know, Pulitzer Prize winning Michael Chabon. Um, okay. She was on the show, and that was an incredible um, opportunity for us to share her story and have people you know, talk with her virtually. Um, Gavin Grimm, who, as we all know, is the transgender youth activist who okay. went uh, to the Supreme Court of the ACLU and fought for his basic rights that benefited all of us. Um, so it's been an incredible, incredible time. We've had extraordinary guests. We've shared time with thousands of folks. And I'm just so proud, not of the work we've done, although I am, but of, of the community coming out and supporting one another. Um, I think that our mission has always been to make sure whatever the times are, that we are together, that we show respect, that we show community, that we show love. You know, what are, you know, you, you mentioned about how the drag queens, but we know many, you know, in our community, the LGBTQI community are in service industries, and we know that, you know, with many hotels, restaurants, you know, venues where they might perform are closed, and this is their income. This is their income. How do you see the community coming together to to support those? I think it's great that, you know, as as if your performance artist cannot be able to perform is 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 bad, it's not getting that check and to have that online. But what about these people who, you know, you'd see passing by on their way to and from work who now are are unemployed and we know, you know, what are what are you hearing from them? 
Well, that's it's a, uh, it's amazing you ask that. You're always so astute and so empathetic, and that's what I love about you. Um, it is it's a difficult time for all of us, but you do have to realize that it's it's perhaps more difficult for some because mm-hmm. their very livelihood, um, who they are, is so dependent on being out and about, both literally and figuratively. So we have to be cognizant of everybody's journey now, everybody's hardship now, whether people are still working at, at home, whether they're parents who are suddenly um, charged with taking care of their children, which, of course, is a beautiful thing um, in a general sense, but when you're talking about all day, every day, you know, and I think that what's happening is one of the things that we are realizing and recognizing, and I hope when this is all done, that we obviously need to look at the difficulties that are inherent in the structure of things we're doing. It, it's amazing how we have realized that school lunches were a mm-hmm. major source of nutrition for so many kids, and not only in inner cities, but all around our country. Mm-hmm. We, have no, we have recognized and realized that our teachers have become so much more than just, you know, 45-minute, 50-minute instructors, but they are caregivers, and they are sources of strength and solace to so many of our kids, especially our queer kids. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I love about this is, yeah, we see some stories about how this is bringing out the worst in folks and how this is such a difficult moment, but I choose to see how this is bringing out the best in so many people. One of the people I've been in contact with often is Steve Beatty, who is the New Jersey Education Association treasurer and secretary. Um, he's been so supportive of the center in the past, and now he is working his handsome butt off to make sure that everybody is taken care of, that the students are taken care of, um, the staff is taken care of, obviously the teachers especially are being taken care of, and they're all communicating and sharing community together so we can be of best service to each other. And I'm circling back to to answer your question directly because you know me, I go off my tangents and I apologize. But individually, yes, we have to be aware. We have to recognize and respect each other and the smallest things to the biggest things. How can we support individuals? How can we make sure that when, um, you know, now even getting takeout is a precarious thing, right? So we get gift cards to our favorite restaurants. We order books. Please order books locally from your local mm-hmm. bookstore. Don't order from the large online retailers. They're doing fine. Um, mm-hmm. Look to your local bookstores. For us in Princeton, it is Labyrinth Books, which is an incredible bookstore. It's always been on the front line of looking out for our community supportive of the center and our greater community. So please, whatever local bookstore you have, whatever local charity you have, they are doing the work to look out for their folks. I know that. So please, that's how you can be supportive, is look for the local opportunities. When we spoke to Islet Waldman, who is, again, you know, one of the creators of Star Trek Picard on CBS, one of the creators of Unbelievable on Netflix, author of mm-hmm. various books and incredible in and of herself. But what's she, what's she now doing? What's she now doing now? 
she has created this incredible program in the East Bay um, where she is connecting. She saw an opportunity, and this is how it is. She went to a local restaurant. She wanted to order out for her family, but to support the local restaurant as well, obviously, right? So she said, how can I best be of service? When she was there, she saw an ER doctor who was so tired and so having such a difficult time. Obviously, our medical personnel are having one of the most difficult times. And she saw the connection. And she started that night. She ordered from that restaurant to feed that ER. And then she saw it. She saw the platform, just like I did with the Power Hour. She saw Mm -hmm. it almost fully formed. Here's the opportunity. And now she has created a new nonprofit that is now going forth and feeding emergency rooms by getting local restaurants and local folks to team up. It's like the best Marvel team up ever to deliver food to local ERs. And it's been blowing up around the, um, the country. And what we did when she was on the other night is we blasted out, we amplified it. Because, of course, we're looking to support the center. And our center is in dire straits right now, honestly. We've mm-hmm. had to cancel all our programming, all our events, all our outreaches, all our trainings, which was our, the sole support financially for us. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to look out for others as well. So when someone like Islet is on the program, we're going to amplify her program. You know, and when our drag queens come on, we're going to make sure that they have their Venmo or whatever way that they get virtual tips and make sure that they are being compensated and being taken care of by our community. You know, I I like, I mean, it's just amazing to me, but that's what I have found, you know. When you put out, people just come. Like they recognize that here's another platform, another way to to talk to, to people about, you know, how do you deal with this. And often what I like about our community, our community of social justice individuals, um, activists, and, and people who just care, is that we seem to be talking, you know, like something you hear, like there's this one side that's talking about, oh, scary, scary, scary. But we all seem to be talking about how do we come together as a community? How do we support each other? And, you know, reaching out to each other and, and that caring. I mean, when you put that out there, like you were doing the social justice power hour, and you put that out there, did you find that, you know, the doors open and there were people ready to talk about how do we care more about each other? Yeah, I mean, that's always been the case. You know, let's be honest. Uh, the queer community has always been one of the most inclusive, one of the most caring, one of the most um, open communities. Just because the very nature uh, of the community, it encompasses everyone. You know, um, and I think that we, we always are very aware that and one of the things when we started the center and by the way let me just let me circle back to this because i don't want this to go unsaid and this is really important michelle is that you came to me in the very nascent stages of the biodressin center for social justice you reached out to me and the first time we did one of these conversations it meant the world to me and to the center we talked when i was 
working out of my studio in my home and we had not had a physical space. We were, you know, establishing our board of directors, our 501c3, and just laying the platform of who we were going to be and what we were going to represent. And you believed in us and you shouted out our name and our mission and our goals and our love to your folks. And that was so meaningful. And thank you for that. And that is everything about what we're talking about is mm-hmm. when our community sees either someone struggling, we're right there for them. And we see someone being successful, we're right there for them. That's the beauty of this community, is that we're always right there for each other, is we never, ever take each other for granted. I mean, and we're talking, you know, and I'm talking in general terms, of course, you know, there are folks in every community that are looking to be selfish or looking to make the best for themselves. That's always going to be the case. But the vast majority, especially right now, people are coming together in a way that is all at once inspirational and exponential, Mm -hmm. right? And it's what you're Mm -hmm. talking about, how we relate to each other and how we see each other's struggles um, and making sure that we're cognizant of each other. I mean, because that's really what it's about, especially for the queer community. It's about visibility, right? It's about being seen, being recognized, being respected, and, of course, being loved. And knowing that need and feeling that desire and knowing how important that is allows that community, our community, um, that I'm proud to be an honorary member of, um, to look to each other, out for each other, and just be present. And right now, that presence is virtual, and that's going to change again. But I hope when it does change, when we do go back and we're allowed to be together and we're allowed to share time in a physical space, we have to remember the lessons of what we're facing now. Mm -hmm. Um, All the things that we are recognizing, realize the things that I mentioned before, about what our schools and our teachers mean to our children, our communities, and our families, about what we mean to each other, about what a hug feels like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what a hug feels like. Gosh, it's amazing, sorry, when you don't have something, you realize the import of it and what it brings to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to hate lunch. You know, one of the things about being a nonprofit is I'm sure you're aware, everybody always wants to take you for lunch. And it's, it's delightful and it's lovely. And I, of course, I love sharing time, but I love sharing time doing the work and being present at the center. I don't like leaving the center. That's the truth of it. So I, I, always, I would always begrudge and be really cranky about going to lunch, although I always enjoyed it and always loved being with people. Um, and now, you know what? Gosh darn, do I miss lunch. <laughs> I know. I know exactly what you meant. Robert, well, we're going to take our first break here. And then we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and yours, the kids. So I'll be right, we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Robert, one of the things where you got me, okay, where I'm, and, you know, and your wife just has to understand, I fell in love with you was because you loved the kids. And you talked about, you know, like education, but you know, one of the things that has been at your, your heart has been those GSAs. And you know, Kids can get maybe a class or something online, but what a GSA provides for a kid, you know, can you get that online? And how have you been able to or talk to people who are involved with GSAs? How are you able to, to keep that going? You talk about, you know, hugs, and I'm, my favorite picture of you is you surrounded by all these kids and they're just hugging you, your heart has to be just like full of not only concern but love for these kids. How are you able to help them and be there for them during this time? All right, sit back and relax because I want to take up the rest of our time today answering that one. That's fine. That's fine. Um, My heart right now is all at once full and breaking at the same time. And, but that is really how I've been my entire life, um, my entire career. You know, my mom and dad, and I've said this before, but it, it, it bears repeating ad infinitum. It was just my mom's birthday uh, yesterday. She was 75. Mm. And they taught me throughout my life to respect and accept and love everybody. And it wasn't through lectures and talks. It was just by being who they were. And my home when I was growing up was the archetype of a safe space. And that term wasn't acknowledged or or defined as of yet. But I would come home at night, often late at night in high school and college, and my friends would be hanging out. And I'd be like, what are you doing here? I was just out with other friends or whatever else. And they said, they would always say, we just want to be here. It feels right. It feels good. Um, so I knew that. And then when I, um, I started teaching and I taught in the same school I went to as a student, um, I taught there for 23 years. I figured it would be a couple of years when I would do my service. I wanted to give back because it was a wonderful school to me, a wonderful community. It gave me so much I wanted to give back. Um, It ended up being 23 years of my life um, and my love. And during that time, I had the extraordinary honor of starting the first Gay Straight Alliance in a middle school in New Jersey. And I did this 
um, because one student, and this is the honest truth, it wasn't even, I didn't even um, create the platform. A student came to another teacher and said, I, I need support, I need safety, I need a place to be. And they started talking about this and it was brought up at a faculty meeting. And all due respect to the other teacher who started this, um, I jumped up and I said, this, this is who I am, this is what I do. And within a month, I was running it, and it was went from six kids showing up sheepishly in the shadows for our first meeting to over 50, 60 strong. And we would throw dances where hundreds of kids would show up. And, um, you know, and those dances were fraught. You know, I figured what better way to introduce our kids, what better way to have them accepted by the larger school community than throwing a dance? Who's going to throw a more fabulous dance than a GSA, right? And the first time we walked those hallways in the cafeteria with the ticket cart, the first time kids were throwing things at my GSA kids, they were yelling fag and all sorts of horrible things at my kids. And then we threw our first dance. And the second dance, when we walked around, with those tickets, kids were lining up to buy those tickets. So there's something to be said about finding um, a way to gain acceptance for our kids, to show who they are, how they can be loved by each other. And that journey didn't end there. Um, after that, this is one of my favorite stories. A student, I heard about a student in another district a neighboring school district who was going through such horrible, horrible difficulties. They were being homeschooled because they couldn't go to school anymore. They were considering suicide. They just were at the end of what they thought they could physically and emotionally and psychologically endure. So my GSA kids, we wrote them, we drew and wrote and sent out this beautiful invitation to one of our dances. And we didn't hear anything back. So we assumed that, well, we tried. We could always only try. And the dance came around, and out of the hundreds of kids that were dancing and frolicking and having a great time, I saw this one lone purple-haired young person holding up the wall, right? And I went up and said, hey, are you having a good time? Where are your friends? And they told me that they didn't have any friends because they didn't go to this school. And I realized it was this student, this young person, who had accepted our invitation. And my heart exploded. And I grabbed their hand, took them to our JSA kids, and they had the best time. And for the first time, they smiled and they danced and they, they found a piece of community. And I walked them out the building that night after the dance, two hours. Okay. And their parents were in the, in the parking lot. And they saw their child for the first time smiling in months and months and months. And we all cried and hugged. And then I had the extraordinary honor of being part of their journey. And I fought and defended them at their school, with their school district, with their administration. And finally, after months and months and months of battles in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the courtroom, their school district settled and paid for that student to come to my school, oh. paid for the transportation of that student to attend our school, 
And that student not only became president of our GSA, but ended up feeling so safe and so loved in our hallways that they transitioned. And they were our first transgender student in our district. And it was an incredible, incredible journey to be a part of and taught me so much. Because we always have to learn from each other, even especially our young folks. And it was a phenomenal piece of who I am now. And after that, I knew this was my calling. That was my epiphany. And I was honored with being um, New Jersey State Champion of Equality, um, which I thought should come with a cape, but just just was a, a glass. <laughs> I would have preferred a cape. Um, and then a few years later, the National Education Association bestowed upon me the tremendous privilege of being called the Social Justice Activist of the Year. And when I was in Boston and I was speaking at the, ra- the Racial and Social Justice um, Conference, I looked out at all the folks I was talking to, all my fellow teachers and administrators and students and friends and allies and community members, And I realized that there was more of a platform, that there was more of an opportunity, that there were more people to reach. And um, I decided to explore that. And with the incredible support of my family, my son, my lovely bride, my parents, Carol Watchler, um, who was so supportive from the start, we had tea once a week to dream and scheme about what this would be. We became the Bayard Bussin Center for Social Justice. And now, one of the most incredible moments of the center was when my first GSA kids, talking now, some of them, you know, in college, came to the center and became part of the work I'm doing now. So I'm so connected and so honored by still being connected to those kids. Yesterday, I um, went to Wawa. Wawa is a local uh, convenience store here, uh, both infamous and incredibly celebrated in New Jersey. And they do have the best coffee. So I went there and (laughs) and one of the few places still open. So shout out to Wawa. Um, And at the register, the kid at the register said, do you teach art? And I said, I used to. And they said, oh my gosh, I was one of your students. And we talked for a minute, and they told me how important my classroom was to them. And then out of, this, out of the back room comes one, two, three other kids who all were students of mine back in the day. And again, talking about missing a hug, this was a uh-huh. moment when it was devastating not to be able to be in physical contact with these kids and, and share that warmth with if a hug was ever necessary, it was at this moment with these mm-hmm. kids who, you know, were now 18, 20, 22, you know, who expressed what it meant to be in my classroom. And it was never about Van Gogh or Da Vinci or perspective. I, I taught those things. I had to. That was my job. Um, but I always thought it was more important to teach respect and to be open, and to be honest, and to just be a person, and to be there as a listener, as someone who shared um, 
is making sure every single kid who walked in my class, who traversed our hallways, knew that they would be accepted, knew that they would be safe, knew that they would be respected, and knew that they would be loved. And now, circling back to the last part of your question was, how the heck do we do that virtually now, right? How do we do that virtually now in this moment? And we can, because what happened was, a couple of months ago, before all of this, I had, um, again, the extraordinary opportunity to have different parents come in in the span of a few weeks, all of whom were talking about their kids who are identifying younger and younger. I'm talking about four, five, six, seven, eight years old, because they, they finally have an opportunity, a platform, a safe space to do so. So these kids are identifying younger and younger, but their schools are not ready for this to happen. And it's not about not wanting to be open and help these kids, but it's not having the abilities and the research available because it's so new and the opportunities and the history. So they need to be taught. And I saw it. It was one of those, again, one of those epiphanies, one of those moments where I said, it's crystal. We need a family gathering. And what quickly um, evolved was every Friday afternoon when the center was open, we were holding an LGBTQIA family gathering for parents, for kids, for chosen families, for everybody who identified across the spectrum. I'm talking kids and seniors and everybody in between to come together. And it was taking off like wildfire. We had so many kids and so many parents. And it was beautiful. It was meaningful on both sides. You saw kids running around with other kids who had no idea that other kids existed like them. One of the things I heard that I fell in love with was one of the kids said, I I had no difficulty coming out. I had no difficulty identifying. I had a pretty easy time of it. But what they said was they were lonely. They didn't understand that there were other people. They didn't realize there were other kids like them. And just seeing and recognizing and being seen and being recognized. But by the same token, on the other side of the room, the parents found this moment to share with each other. Their difficulties and their triumphs. Their loves and their fears. And they found other people who knew what they were going through but also didn't because people are always different. Nobody represents, nobody solely represents one community, right? So uh-huh. it's wonderful when we come together because we can talk about how different we are and how the same we are, no matter how we identify, no matter whom we love, no matter who we are. So now to bring that virtually, yeah, so the Power Hour is doing that from 7 to 8 p.m. every night, and it's been incredibly successful but we're going to bring the family gathering back and do that virtually as well. And we do whatever else we need to do virtually in this moment where we cannot hug each other physically, but we can definitely damn well sure hug each other virtually. That's mm-hmm. something we have to promise and guarantee each other. That we're not going to lose sight of each other or ourselves. You know, I think that that was so, also so good because, you know, especially young people are so connected, you know, like they're on their phones and stuff that, like, it's like that you're keeping this presence, 
you know, that there's some place that you can go. And it amazes me when you hear a young person who says, even today, I didn't know that there were other people out there like me. And that's why it's so important that you, you have this, this, this presence. You know, um, are you, do you have a, a time for young people on the Power Hour? Well, I mean, I, I've never been one to think that anything is solely for one group of people. The whole mission of our center is intersectionality. That's what Bayer Rustin was the godfather of. Again, before the term was coined, the term was coined in the late 80s. You know, Bayard was doing it in the 40s and 50s and onward and upward. Um, so everything we do, I make sure that it is applicable, that it is open, that it is ready to be enjoyed and appreciated by everybody across the spectrum, no matter how they identify gender, identity, sexuality, age, whatever it may be. So every program that, that we're presenting at Power Hour, I do my darndest to make sure that it appeals to each and every person who we represent, who we the honor of um, being a voice for. But by the same token, you're right. We need a dedicated time. And right now I'm talking to those parents and those families who would gather together at the family gathering on Friday afternoons. And I intend as soon as possible to put that back up. You know, and if it's Friday afternoons and we keep that spot, or maybe because things are different now and we're all homeschooling and we're all home uh, together and apart, if there's a different time, but we're going to find the right time and the right platform to bring those families together um, to make it a very public thing. And now we have, again, you know me, I always see, even in these darkest moments, opportunity and hope. So now our family gathering, which used to be physical, which used to be in the center, and used to bring together families from across New Jersey, and that was wonderful, and we're going to do that again once the moment allows, the, the absolute moment it allows again. But now we have the opportunity to gather together families from across the nation, across the world. Mm-hmm. We have an open mic coming up, and we've already um, gathered together talent from literally coast to coast. We have someone who's going to dial in from California, someone's going to dial in from Boston, from Chicago. So, again, there's opportunity here. It's certainly not the best of times in any way, shape, or form. But there's certainly opportunity to be had, fellowship to be felt, and gatherings to be gathered. Now, I know that just like those kids came up and talked to you, are you still hearing on the phone from from young people who you've worked with? Oh, yeah. I mean... (laughs) And it doesn't, you know, it, it almost, I'm a, a, um, I'm a very emotional person, as you probably have realized through our, our talks together. Um, and I wear my heart, um, I wouldn't even say on my sleeve, I would say I wear it about six feet in front of me, which now is probably not a great time. Um, but I am so touched and so honored every time someone tells me that, their time in my classroom is meaningful. And it is special every single time. And whether I'm in a supermarket and whether I'm fighting with my wife over what uh, the price of produce is 
and we're having a difficult moment and a kid comes up, that's so golden to me. Um, whether I'm in a movie theater or whether I am just taking a walk outside, it's amazing the interactions I get to have. And I, I truly believe that I'm one of the luckiest people um, because I get to do this. And I remember I was seeing my, my uh, therapist, and um, there's no embarrassment or shame in that. I believe that mental health is not a stigma. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I freely talk about that. I suffer from great anxiety with a capital A, um, definitely some OCD, and for sure everyone that knows me knows there's a, a lot of grandiosity and arrogance involved there too. Um, and one of the moments that was uh, really um, meaningful to me was he asked me, he said, you know, your job is basically that you go out and you tell people just to be kind. I mean, basically what you do with your outreaches and the trainings and the work that you do, the programs you offer, the events that you hold, really the, the, the basic platform, the message is always just be kind, just be good to each other. And shouldn't that just be human nature? Shouldn't that just be how we treat each other um, as Durger? And he went on to say, doesn't it piss you off that you have to do this? Doesn't it make you so upset that, that you have to go out and remind people or teach people how to be this way? And I said, sure, there's an aspect of that, that it's really difficult and it's disheartening that we have to do these things, that you and I have to have this conversation, because the essence of this conversation is we have to love each other, and shouldn't we just do that? But I know you feel this way too. I'm sure you feel this way too, that it's such an incredible honor to be able to do it. It's such an incredible opportunity to be able to share of yourself and have that be meaningful to someone else, have that make a difference, have that be inspirational, even for a moment, or for a year, or for a lifetime. So every single time that a kid comes up to me and says they're in my classroom and it was meaningful, every single time someone comes to an event at the center, and now every single viewer that pops into the Social Justice Power Hour, it means the absolute freaking world to me. And that will never, ever change. You know, and it it is, it's funny, like to me, it's like, about being kind to each other. I mean, that you should care about each other. And like, and exactly, like, sometimes it makes you angry. And when you see these things that you, we have to go back and say it again. I know I was reading how they were talking about um, the people who were putting up the tents in Central Park. You know, they were homophobic. And I'm going like, what? You know, what, what is it? But then there's also the part, and I thank you again, um, for you shared an article that came out that talked about, you know, uh, the LGBTQ community and how they were losing their job overnight and how it's affected by the coronavirus. And, you know, that people have to remember that. You know, we're affected by it in so many ways. You know, we talk about living in the crosshairs of our intersectionality. Well, yeah, we really are because you have people who are homophobes. You have people who don't understand illness, and, you know, then we also find that many of us are on that gig, artist um, economy, and there's ways that if if you're queer, you know, you're just getting hit. How did this article come about, and 
what were your takeaways, the good things that you thought came out of this article that I was happy to see you, you write in there, you know, and I knew you would be. Um, what are the good things about it and why you would encourage people to take a moment, sit down and read this? Well, the article, uh, it, it, again, I don't take anything for granted and I cherish each and every moment that we can be of service at the center. And this wonderful reporter, Alex, Alex Beese, I always, names are so important in our community, so I always want to recognize those. Um, with USA Today and locally with Asbury Park Press, um, called me last week and asked me about how it was affecting the community. Um, and it was really meaningful to me that what Alex said to me was when they were writing this article, they knew they had to contact me in the center because of the work we did. And that in and of itself is so incredibly um, empowering because we're, we're still young, you know, we're, we're a little over a year old. And there's so many other groups like SAGE, like Garden State Equality, um, like the Pride Center, um, and so many other groups locally and nationally who have been doing this work for years, if not decades. So to be able to, to um, be recognized with them is an incredible honor. These are people who I was inspired by when creating the center. So now to be able to work with them and alongside them is something that I really cherish. Um, and I think that we brought something different to it because, again, I'm always going to look um, not for the bright side, not for the silver lining, because that is too, um, that's too easy. You have to look for the, for the hope, which I think is an entirely different thing. You have to look for the community. There's always opportunity for that in the best and worst of times, and it's equally important at both. So um, I was really thrilled when this article came out, and all these other people were mentioned um, and I think what was wonderful about this article that we speak of is that there were individuals talked about people who had lost their jobs as bartenders. Um, there were nurses who were going to work every day, sometimes unpaid, to be of service. And then there was larger aspects like these organizations who are trying to create platforms and support during this time. Um, and that's what I love about this article. It's a microcosm of what's going on, that there are difficult, dark times, um, there are extraordinary times, to say the least, um, but we always believe here at the center that we can find hope, that we can find community, that we can find respect, and that we can find love at any time. And this article was really well-fashioned to communicate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought so. Well, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the center itself. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. 
be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Robert, one of the other reasons why I wanted to talk to you, I mean, there's many. You know, I just love talking to you. I just love you. (laughs) I I just love the center. And, you know, but you talked about it briefly. I mean, many people take our centers for granted. It's like, oh, they're there. They just do it. People don't think about that moment that they need to step up to to the plate and if they've got, time, talent, or tithes to give it to go. Um, they don't think about that. And you do a lot of, of good work. How is the center doing? And what can, you know, you're still giving. You're still there providing for the community. What can the community do to help the center and have in mind for, I mean, you know, because with Internet, you can help centers all around that. But what, as someone who runs a center that's giving service to the LGBTQ uh, community, what do you need? What's happening? You already said, you know, some of the things that you were doing that you relied upon. What were those things that, that people need to know the backstory of what keeps you going besides your love for community? Well, I mean, it. it... It is our love for community, and one of the things that's really important to us is that each and everything that we do, whether it's a program of outreach where we go into a school or a business or another organization or a person's home, whatever else it may be, it, it relays the message of what the center is all about, inclusivity, intersectionality, um, diversity, respect, and always love. Um, and every one of our programs shows that, you know, whether it's a diversity training at a law firm or a, it's uh, identity training at a school, whether it's for 500 people or five people, whether it's in-house at the center or whether we're traveling across the state or into New York or Philadelphia or, you know, doing virtual pieces all across the nation. Um, all of it is about how do we best represent and respect our communities, you know, whether it's our queer community, our people of color, our immigrant families, our differently abled folks, our, um, our binary or non-gender conforming friends, whoever it may be, you know, our, our multiple communities who are not exclusionary but are all involved in the same wanting to be seen, heard, recognized, and respected. And that's our programming part and parcel. Um, And unfortunately now, as you mentioned, that's how we made our money too. We would do diversity trainings. We would do identity workshops. We would go out and be present um, for people and do advocacies. We'd also hold... um, almost too many events at the center. We were almost victims of our own success that we, I just didn't say no to anybody and would never deny an opportunity to any group or community 
that wanted to be a part of uh, what we were doing. Um, so we, when we closed our doors, we were having events um, two, three, four times a week during the day and at night on weekends. We were doing trainings and being out at advocacies and, and workshops um, sometimes four or five times in a week. We'd be on panels. We had the incredible honor of serving not only for Governor Murphy um, on his LGBTQIA advocacy panel, but Senator Menendez as well. Um, and now that's all paused. And it's incredibly difficult for us, honestly, financially. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritually, we are not going to be um, dissuaded. We are, going to, we are going to push ourselves forward. And um, the Power Hour and the Family Gathering we're going to incorporate and the other virtual things we're going to create are going to keep our community together. But honestly, financially, yeah, this is an incredibly difficult time. Um, and it's not just for us. You know, this is where I shoot myself in the foot because I should be just talking about our center, the Biogreston Center for Social Justice. But um, all our local communities, our national communities, our national organizations, our local organizations, all our groups are suffering greatly. You know, and this is everybody from a nationally known theater group like McCarter Theater here in Princeton that does incredible productions to the YWCA to um, the Arts Council of Princeton, the Princeton Public Library. You know, these are all local groups I just want to give a shout out to because it shows we're all dealing with the same difficulties and how do we respond to it. Here's the truth of it. We have done these power hours for uh, uh, two and a half weeks now, and we have a little donation um, button. And the truth is, it's a difficult time for everybody. So it has not been utilized as much as we might have hoped. Um, but we respect that these are difficult times, not only for organizations, but for individuals as well. That there are many in our community who don't have the uh, resources to donate and contribute. And if they can give their spirit now, so be it. And we'll survive. We'll survive. I'm lucky and fortunate uh, that I can go out without my salary for a few months. And I will do that. And I know that's something that is a small sacrifice of mine compared to many, many, many other people in our community especially. Um, But those of you listening out there, those of you who are with us today, um, if you do wish to support the center, we would not only be grateful, but it would allow us to continue the programming that we're offering during this time. And you can do that very easily by going to rustincenter.org. That's R-U-S-T-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. And there's a, a big blue donate button that's ever present on every one of the pages. Um, and you can certainly um, give whatever you can, a small amount, large amount, personally significant, meaningful to you would mean a great deal to us and allow us to continue these programs because none of them um, happen out of thin air. They all take a lot of effort from our staff, from myself and Carol Watchler, our community outreach coordinator. Um, The platforms cost money, the upkeep costs money. We're still paying rent. 
you know, mm-hmm. we're still, uh, you know, keep the lights on. I'm going in the center um, still, and this is uh, what I do. I go in at the uh, break of dawn every day because I know that there are people who need a phone call or who need to see a, a, a virtual conference call and need a little bit of time with someone. So I'm there for them. Carol is there for them. Carol's working from home because although she is the most robust 77-year-old that I know, she is still of that age, and I'm uh-huh. not going to um, risk her health in any way, shape, or form. So she's working at home, but she's working at home. And again, she has her boots in the ground more than I ever will, and I respect and admire her more than almost anybody I know. Probably my wife a little more so, um, but I, maybe it's uh, just equal. But I have the unique opportunity to be inspired by these people. And if the work we're doing inspires your listeners and the people out there, and you can give a little or a lot, please consider doing so, because it would be incredibly meaningful for us and the communities we represent. Now, I noticed yesterday, you know, I was watching the yoga. I, I dusted my mat off, and I'm, a, I'm very happy. But at the bottom of it, there is a banner that said that you can donate through PayPal. Now, does that go to the center? Yes, indeed. So um, what we're doing is um, PayPal has a wonderful program called the PayPal Giving Fund. Um, And what's great about that is not only is it it really safe and easy for people, so you don't have to worry about your um, online identity being compromised. It's an incredibly safe platform done by PayPal, of course, greatly respected. Um, But also, unlike almost any other program or platform that I've found, and we did a lot of research, 100% of the donation goes toward the center. They don't take any fee. Um, there's no tax, obviously. We're at we're, uh, 51C3. Um, and you are notified of your donation and given a record for your tax receipts as well. Um, so it's a, it's a great, beautiful program. And, and as I said before, on our site, restoncenter.org, when you go on, and you find that big, beautiful blue button to donate, it goes directly to that. Um, But also people can send checks. If you're more comfortable sending a check, you can certainly do that to the center as well. Um, And I can either give the address here or we can pop it up on screen or whatever is easiest for you. Well, we're going to do both. Would you give the address now? Of course. So the the address is the Bayard Rustin Center for Social Justice, and we're at 21, that's 21 Wiggins Street, W-I-G-G-I-N-S Street, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. Uh, again, you can send a check, and we will acknowledge that check and send you a letter of your donation um, with our tax ID number and everything else you need to know for your tax purposes. But know now more than ever, uh, we and the communities that we represent um, and I have the privilege of serving, need your support more than ever. I think that is. Now, one of the things that I noticed also, okay, and I actually the thing that's odd is, you know, I'm always talking about coming, and I had put in my calendar, like, right before this had started, like, about in April, I was going to try and come your way. So, you know, that was right out the window. But last year you did the first prize there, and like, Right now, I see that you're talking about Pride. Is that a tentative date? Um, 
pending what happens with this and is that you know is that a definite that you intend to do pride again hopefully in june well let me say this 100 percent is definite renew pride again and right now yes the date is set as june 20th and june 20th is just the day of the parade but this year we have the incredible opportunity to work with New Jersey's number one radio station, WPST 94.5. And their station manager, Steve Chisari, again, names are important. People should be recognized, came to me and wanted to work with us and partner with us about pride. So not not only are we doing a second pride parade in Princeton, where we did do the first one last year, which was pretty amazing. We had 3000 people in the streets. We had the governor Uh and a bunch of, more importantly, a bunch of our community members come out and feel recognized and supported for the first time in Princeton. Um, this year, we intend to make it even more exponential and important and meaningful and entertaining. Um, with PST involved, we're going to bring out some incredible entertainers and musicians and concerts. We're going to do a whole weekend. We're going to have um, the Sunday after the parade, we're going to do uh, Who's Your Daddy? Because it's Father's Day. Who's Your Daddy? Drag brunch. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the night before, the Friday night before Pride, we're going to do a, a big party to celebrate the beginning of the weekend. So we intend to make it a full weekend of festivities, of pride, of celebration, of recognition, of not only how far we've come, but how far we have yet to go. Now, we know that right now things are looking precarious, right? That we don't know when we're going to be out of these difficult times, we are moving forward with pride uh, until we know for sure we can't do it. We are going to do it. And if it turns out that we have to move it back a bit, we will do that too. But I guarantee you, your listeners and our entire community that the Bioreston Center for Social Justice will do pride this year, hopefully on the 20th and that entire weekend of June. And if not, then if circumstances do not allow, We'll do it sometime shortly thereafter. But that weekend, I promise you, that day, I promise you, that if we, again, cannot be together physically, we will be together virtually. And we'll put on the best darn pride you can imagine in whatever way we have to imagine it. Well, I am hoping that it will happen. I intend to be there and that I can give you that big hug And if not, then I'll do it virtually. But I am hoping for the real deal. I mean, when you told me about it yesterday, I mean, mean, last time, I mean, for your first time out, the the response, I mean, that was just like really filled my heart, made me feel good. And I think it really did good for that community. I know that especially, hopefully we'll be at the other end of this, that people will need to be out there to celebrate to love on each other, to love on the community. I mean, what a great way to begin what we're then having gone through this. You know, people talk about this is our new reality. It isn't. What our new reality is going to be is after this and the lessons that we've learned from this and how we've come to love each other. And what a great way to celebrate the beginning of our new reality of love and kindness and acceptance and lifting people up 
You're 100%, right? That's 100. That is 100, right? I mean, can I, I, again, this is how my mind works. I always go to the brightest, to the most hopeful. And can you imagine having come through this experience that that's how we can come out on June 19th, June 20th, June 21st, that weekend in June, to, to have not only pride, but that big coming out in every which way, both literally and figuratively, coming out, mm-hmm. which is so important to our community, right? Coming out and being present with each other in the streets and dancing and hugging and strolling and rolling and doing whatever else, however you move and motivate yourselves to be together again. And we fully intend and hope with all our hearts that it'll be that uh, third weekend in June. And if circumstances don't allow, we will make sure that it's still a very special weekend for everybody. And when we do have the opportunity to be together, we absolutely will be with all our hearts, minds, spirits. Okay. Well, Robert, I want to thank you for being with us on Collections by Michelle Brown. I have been posting about the the Power Hour every day, you know, so people can start to see about it and remind them that it's there because in this time when you're sitting at home, instead of watching, it amazed me. I was listening to a report where they said people are watching Contagion, the movie. Instead of watching Contagion, go to the Power Hour. I mean, listen to podcasts from people who are doing incredible things that are building towards, you know, this new day that's coming. Robert, thank you. Thank you. And I just want to say the Power Hour has been beyond my wildest dreams. Not only the thousands of people have tuned in, but the individuals who have said they either needed it so, so much, but especially those that said they didn't realize how much they needed it. Mm-hmm. One of our community members said, you know what, I had a great day. I talked to friends over the phone. I bought a neighbor groceries. I, I was out. I was present. I was interacting. But when I tuned in at 7 o'clock that night to the power hour, I didn't realize how much I was missing community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, harking back to almost everything I've said in some way, that connection, that opportunity to be of service in that way means the world's worst. So please tune in to the BRCSJ Social Justice Power Hour from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com, Rustin Center. Uh, we live stream every night. And by the time you hear this, um, Michelle would, will have been one of our guests. Uh, and you can go to the page and see that because we keep all of them there so people can see Walter Nagel and Mike Hotpence and um, I yell it. Waldman and uh, Kyle Burkhart and the wonderful children's illustrator um, Early Anderson and all the other folks. Our queer yoga is there. We do queer yoga every Tuesday. So join us and let's be together as a virtual community while we have to be. Okay. And my love to your wife and tell her, you know, I'm happy to share. (laughs) I'm happy that she allows me to share you, you know, I mean, because, like I said, you are one of my favorite people. You are one of mine, too, Mutual Inspiration Society. And when you do come here, you know you're staying with us. You know it. You know it. I got it counted. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Much love. Much love to you, too. Um,
I want to thank our guest, Robert Seda Schreiber, the chief activist of the Bayard Rustin Center for Social Justice. While the center's doors are closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it provides an opportunity for fellowship with its Social Justice Power Hour weeknights at 7 p.m. The virtual series brings the community together while entertaining, enlightening, and empowering them. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.